welcome to today's creativity chat. We have Christy Lauren Adams. She wrote a book called Parable of a Brown Girl, The Sacred Lives of Women of Color. And I'm really excited to talk to her. I'm interested in just how this book came to be. I listened to a couple of things. I've read a couple of things. So I have a little bit of insight, but you were approached by a publishing company to write a book. I got a, a email about possibly writing and I wasn't thinking about writing anything. Some people are just like, they're authors. They're already in the author mode, but that mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily like my life. And then you have to feel like you have like enough to, to talk about in 45,000 words or so. Not a lot of people think they have that much to talk about. So that was me. I fell into that category when they approached me and I said, I didn't have anything to write about. The acquisitions editor said, let's brainstorm. So we met over Skype not over Zoom. We had a great conversation at the time. I, I was doing a lot of like counseling um, of young black girls specifically. I wasn't working working there, like uh, it wasn't my job, but working for the Becoming Conference, that conference that I started a one day conference back in 2017. So I was working with a group of girls on that. So I was sort of inundated with black girls. The more I thought, the more I was thinking like, oh, you write about what you know. At the time, that's what I knew, right? It was like, I grew up as one. I decided that that's what I would write about mainly because um, I had always said that I wanted to center them in some way if I ever had a platform to do so. I thought that that was through the Becoming Conference. And so it never crossed my mind that there would be multiple venues or like areas where I could center these girls. So the book, it, it wasn't like a natural thing where I just automatically, it took me some time to think it through like, oh wow, this is another avenue. The process of someone talking to you on Skype and then you sitting down and actually writing, what was the time frame between that? I had, actually in my book talk, I give it because I was rejected from that company. Um, really? That proposal was rejected. So I like to talk about that, like how that came full circle for me. It was early 2018 that I was first approached. So I would say like January 2018. We might have Skyped maybe March. And then um, I pitched in June, I think, to them. And... The pitch was more me just going online and, you know, Googling how to write a proposal, you know, <laughs> and the only thing that I knew was that most of these companies don't like long proposals. I knew that they like short. So I Googled short proposal. I wrote one up and sent it to her. She loved it. And she said, I'm going to take it to my team. And, and then she emailed me back and I have the email that I, that I always like recite um, because she's like, I wish I had better news. That's how it starts. Oh, and she yeah. goes, the whole thing about how they thought that the demographic was in so many words that the demographic was too narrow right which was basically the point that I was making right right like, you were trying to make it narrow she was disappointed and they wanted me to um re rewrite it repitch it but maybe be a little bit more inclusive include girls include other girls voices and and put in some of these other girls, um, black girls, I decided not to and decided to pitch two other places. Both of them got back favorably, but Fortress was the one that I wound up going with. And that was August 31st is when I signed that contract. So between January and August, actually September, I started it in September, I started writing in September, nine months or so that it took. This seems fast from the side of the time, you know, it seems like it didn't take you super long but I know that you were going through the process so it might have felt like a long time it felt like a long time but it is and some people they they pitch and they don't hear for years so I I don't take it for granted that um I got something back quick 
quickly. It felt long because I, I had got my, my new job that I'm in now, that job offer I got February, 2018. So I was sort of in between jobs, living at home and trying to figure out what, what my next steps were. But I really wanted to write before I started my job, before I moved. I worked like 50, 60 hours a week because I worked at a boarding school. So, mm-hmm. um, so I was wanting to hurry up and see if somebody would like, you know, get back to me so I can start writing while I had the time that summer. And when I got the contract, I literally was like in employee orientation. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it, it, it was all the craziness that started when I signed the contract. So I was, I was trying to have like the most perfect, you know, environment and circumstances to write under. And that just wasn't the case. So. It didn't happen. No. Mm-mm. What I Not at all. really enjoyed about the book is you write to very specific people and it was very personalized you I don't know if you I don't think you actually use their names or maybe use fake names or something like that but I could relate to so many of the girls that you included it was cool how you broke up the chapters so I guess like to shout out your friend Mm -hmm. I guess she's your friend Ashley Abercrombie oh yes yeah so (laughs) she posted this video in February. That's right. Said, oh, you guys have to buy this book. Yeah. It's a really great read. Immediately, I went to Amazon. I purchased it. Oh. I told my friend Mia about it, and so we both bought it. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got the book on a Friday, and I'm one of those people that kind of like knocks out on Friday <laughs> very quickly. But I knew I wanted to start reading it, so uh-huh. it's literally like 11 o'clock at <laughs> night, and I'm trying to stay awake and read this book. <laughs> So I get in and I'm pacing my room to stay awake. And mm-hmm. I said, just get up in the morning and read it. That's funny. But you break down the chapters very intentionally. So I, I'm, I'm going off memory, but uh-huh. I think the first yeah. one's weak brown girl, uh-huh. insecure brown girl, voiceless brown girl. Uh-huh. Um, uh, fast. Fast, yes. Uh-huh. Fast brown girl. Alienated, maybe? Yeah. Brown girl. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, angry brown girl. And, and then uh, white acting brown mm-hmm. girl. And I could find so much of myself in every single chapter. Mm. But then there were three I felt like that really just stood out. Okay. So uh, I think I told you this was voiceless brown girl. Okay. Angry brown girl. White acting brown girl. Uh-huh. Those are like the three that really like. Ding, ding, ding. So what's funny is white acting brown girl is the one that majority of the people have said to me they can relate to the most. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is interesting. I went to a predominantly white school growing up. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in middle school and this girl told me with a smile on her face, she said, you're the whitest sounding black girl I've ever met. Oh, yeah. And immediately I just said, that's not a compliment. Uh-huh. And she was so thrown off by that. <laughs> Interestingly enough, when I was writing the book, I was working at the school that I work at and we have these chapels chapel services every Monday and Friday. And it really isn't even religious because my school isn't a religious school, even on the chaplain. Um, but uh, it's like a community space where um, our 12th graders, uh, well, the whole school comes together, but our 12th graders give a message during the chapel uh, service. And it's like 25 minutes of service and the, t- the message is 10 minutes. One of the girls gets up as I was writing that chapter, she spoke about uh, sounding white, right? Being mm-hmm. a being a black girl, and that same thing that you said that that 
comment, it might not have been verbatim, but it was like really, really close is what she mm-hmm. gets, what she was saying she gets at that school and what she had gotten her whole life. And her whole speech was about that. And I, I actually put part of her speech in the Yeah, I remember reading about chapter. it. Yeah, I was like fascinated with the fact that she, I mean, I would have just interviewed her, but there were so many with that same story, myself included, you know? So yeah. interesting. And the voiceless chapter, there are a couple of quotes that I wanted to okay. talk about. <laughs> One, I really liked your boss that was saying I didn't hire you oh yeah we're still very close yeah that was really beautiful to me it made me stop and just (laughs) take it in for a second I want to make sure I quote it right so you were sitting in a meeting Uh and you were just kind of at the table listening and then at the end of the meeting you said after one or two staff meetings of not speaking my supervisor noted of my silence he then asked me to stay after a meeting one day, saying he noticed I hadn't been speaking much during the staff meetings. I admitted to him that I didn't feel like I had much to contribute and I just wanted to sit back for a while. Mm. But I didn't hire you to sit back. He said, I hired you to speak. Yeah. And it sticks with me to this day. It was just so simple, but it was like, wow. I actually felt like like God was speaking to me during that too, you know? Yeah. Like, like, oh my gosh, I've been called to speak and I'm not speaking, you know, like I, <laughs> I've always felt, I've, I've always had that struggle um, my whole life, particularly academically or in those settings, like that mm-hmm. might seem like more intimidating where people around me are like more, I feel like they're more educated or, you know, they sound better when they talk. I have struggled with that in seminary and, you know, college and then in my professional, you know, space. And it was always us in the room and everybody just always sounded like they knew what they were talking about and I was new. So I didn't think I knew what I was talking about or could, you know, give any in any input. Um, but he said, you know, I, I didn't I didn't hire you for that reason. And I was like, that is so true. You didn't, so why? <laughs> so why am I acting like that or living like right. that? <laughs> the moment he spoke and you believe the Lord was speaking through him to you. Did things change overnight or was it like a gradual process of learning how to speak? It was gradual. It's been that way. I mean, I, I didn't put this in there, but when I was in seminary, I never forget it. I had a presentation in this class called ethics and politics in the black community. I went to Princeton and a lot of the um, grad students were from like HBCUs, you know, everybody, and I didn't go to HBCU, I went to Temple. And not only that, I took maybe one African-American studies class or two, but, you know, my, my focus was advertising in college. I t- took that class and everybody just sounded like they had already read the books that were on the syllabus five times mm-hmm. over. You know, I hadn't read Autobiography of Malcolm X at that point. I didn't read any of those. I had to do a presentation on Ida B. Wells. I think I, cr- I cried before. I mean, I was like 25, you know, and I, I cried I remember outside on the steps before it was time to go in because I just had to be like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. I just didn't want to sound dumb. And they all were so smart. You know, they were using words I'd never used before. So I use that as an example because that has been a constant, you know, and Mm -hmm. even in that moment, it was a constant. You just have to learn how to find your voice. You know, I remember in seminary, my professors used to say, it's okay to not know. It's okay to actually confidently say, if I ask you a question, I don't really know. I'm going to look into that. So I would try that out. But in that moment at, at APU, I still did have to learn. It definitely wasn't overnight. I might try to contribute something and see how it goes. You're sort of hesitant looking over your shoulder. 
um, making sure people will accept it. But then you have to get over the fact that people may not accept what you have to say. They might reject what you have to say. They may not like it. And so it's a whole internal mental struggle. You were writing about two different types of people. You, I think one one's name was Sean, maybe. You were writing about one. That's so crazy. He, he just texted me. <laughs> <laughs> but my boss, he heard you. I haven't heard he from him. He knew you were forever. talking about him. That's what forever. That's scary. <laughs> He's listening. <laughs> <laughs> I literally haven't talked to him. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. You were more of the girl lady that was quieter whereas there is another person you write about who went into spaces very confidently and speaking and you were just saying both have pros and cons and i i like how you spoke to two different types i relate more to you personally i'm a a lot more quieter in spaces Uh just kind of getting in the feel of the room sometimes i feel like i'm like a little baby how when babies go into rooms yeah they're trying to adjust and figure out what's happening before they kind of warm up yeah you have to feel the energy of the room. I mean, these are things I didn't know at the time, right? It's so important to have language to who you are and how you're feeling. Um, mm. I realize now that I'm more, well, I know I'm more introverted. I'm more of an empath. So I like to feel things out and to observe. Um, before I dive in, I'm like that when I'm in any new settings, even if I'm in a new job, I don't want to just start programming right away. When I get there, I want to learn the context. Um so that, that's important, but then also one of the things I like get at my new job, I'm in this uh, director's meeting now, and um, I'm the only person of color at all, right, um, in the room. Only woman of color, only person of color, period, not just black, Asian, otherwise. In the beginning, I had to remind myself, right? I'm still quiet in those meetings, though. I am more quiet, but... I'm not quiet because I feel like I don't have anything to contribute. I'm quiet because I just don't want to talk. But 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 there <laughs> but there are times where I have to intentionally say, you know what? But I need to say something here. Or I need to give my opinion. It's not about the quantity, right? Like how much. It's more about for me now, like the quality. I've had to embrace both, right? So I think there was a point where I was just quiet, completely insecure. And then there was a time where I was practicing and then just maybe overboard. Now I have to infuse the two, right? Where I embrace that part of myself that, like you said, I'm an, I'm an observer. So, and I don't want to give that up or deny that, that part of me. But then at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm like confidently speaking into a room or a situation or whatever it might be so you have to you have to live in the tension of both and know how to maneuver it you know based off of whatever circumstance you find yourself in right now if you were to look at the chapters like what chapter do you think you're learning the most in or you're growing the most in yeah my book (laughs) (laughs) i got it right here too (laughs) table contents uh nobody's asked me that that's a great question between the week and the voiceless probably i would say the week one because we're having way more moments of vulnerability (laughs) right yeah in in the season that we're in um way more you know down days than up days and um i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and it's just like we leave each other these marco polo messages and sometimes she's just like (laughs) you know, I'm four, four glasses of wine in and she's just, you know, a mess and completely falling apart. And this whole thing is triggering. She just lost her dad last year. She's mm. in the middle of, you know, some other things that, that that's life altering. And so these things are like triggering, they're piling up. 
and she's just not having a good day, right? Um, and then I'm normal and talk, able to talk her out of, talk, not talk her out of it, but, you know, speak, speak into it. And then I might be having another bad day, right, where I'm leaving her video. Um, trying to figure out how to embrace these emotionally erratic times, right? Where I like to, like, I pride myself on being, like, at peace. I try to maintain my inner peace just because I just, I know what it feels like to feel, like, emotionally out of control. But the circumstances that we're in are forcing us to feel emotionally out of control at times. And so the weak brown girl was the the strong black woman. You know, we feel like you have to be strong all the time. And um, I have to go back and forth between, I don't have to be strong all the time who am i safe to be vulnerable around as a result i can't you know be posting it all the time or whatever it might be right like because everybody right. can't handle that so you need to be able to trust that part of you with um the people that, that god has um placed around you and entrusted to be safe people and then the other one though the voiceless one is it's just the constant just evolving and one of the things i talked about in my midday reflection today was like about what what is your finding your purpose in the midst of this pandemic like what does that mean to um be, what are you called to hey that's just been like at the forefront of my mind so because that's something that's ongoing it's just like finding my voice in the midst of this right like prior to this it was all book 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 I mean I had a huge book tour that's like canceled you know um and so my voice at that point up until the beginning of this was being used in school and you know my career, et cetera, but being used mainly as a mouthpiece for this. Now it's okay. <laughs> what is it supposed to, you know, um, what am I supposed now to what? be doing? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so I think those are the two that I've been going back and forth with like in this current season. How different do you think you would have been if you were twenty reading this book? Uh. I was 20 reading this book. You know, when I was 20, I was really like I dove into my faith um, when I was in when I was in college, the latter part of college. So I think I would have really appreciated something like this. Mainly though, because like I said earlier, it would have it puts language on stuff. At it, I was still trying to figure out what I was feeling and why I was feeling it, and I didn't have the language for it. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't realize that things had affected me and were affecting me from my childhood or whatever it might be based off of some of these societal realities. So I was, I was trying to figure it out and dove into my faith as a means of um, reconciling that and becoming a whole person in the midst of that. I think the, the thing about this book is how it's structured, right? Not just the parable at the front, but the fact that there's like a, a cultural truth up front and then there's a spiritual I didn't have that cultural part. I think this would have helped me with that, right? Mm-hmm. I just dove into the spiritual um, without really having an understanding of how my womanhood, you know, my ethnicity, all of those things plays a really important role in becoming a whole person. I just went the faith route and that was like it for, for a little while. So I think that that would have helped me big time. Thank you for sharing that. I did want to talk about Parable of the Angry Brown Girl, Mm -hmm. that chapter. Mm -hmm. My whole life, I've known the verse, be angry and do not sin. Mm -hmm. But when I was reading this, it hit, like, (laughs) wait a minute. (laughs) 
I can be angry. Right. <laughs> Which is wild. I don't know why it's just not hitting because a lot of the times I think this chapter helped me realize why I try to avoid being angry. On page 112. Okay. You quote a book called Sister Citizen by Melissa Harris. Yeah. And it says, <laughs> and we're speaking about the stereotype of angry brown girl or angry black girl. It says the stereotype does not acknowledge black women's anger as a legitimate reaction to unequal circumstances. It is seen as a pathological, irrational desire to control black men, families, and communities. It can be deployed against African-American women who dare to question their circumstances, point out inequities, or ask for help. And that, right next mm-hmm. to it, I say, ooh. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> On the other side, you're talking about hurting black girls. Mm-hmm. And it says anger creates, or it says anger protects people from painful mm. feelings. Anger provides a distraction from pain. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, how do I disassociate from my pain? Like, Mm -hmm. it just made me ask myself questions I hadn't thought about. I would like to dive more into this at some point. Um, Because it could probably be just a whole book in and of itself, right? How we have, we've like vilified anger. And um, and, and, and there's so many more layers to it. And there's righteous anger, you know, right with this phrase, righteous indignation. We see Jesus turning over temples. I mean, turning over tables in the temple. temple, We skim over that, you know. Um, But then also the protection that anger, uh, one of the things I learned from these girls and even myself, right, is what you just read, the protection that anger offers um, without us even realizing it that sometimes until it's safe to come out and be vulnerable, anger is necessary to protect our heart. On page 110, you said, I look back on my own life and wish I'd been able to learn how to dismantle the angry black girl stereotype while honoring the emotions I was experiencing. Yeah, I wish I was. I wish, you know, I mean, everything is, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Right. Um, I... I do wish I'd been able to do the two. I think I played more into the angry black girl stereotype. I heard mm-hmm. it more. It was it was just it was put on me, so I just behaved that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, my actual feelings of whether it's hurt or whatever was the anger on the inside of me, I never was able to address it. So later. So that's why I said I dove into my faith. I I sought God to help me address it, which is the the, the right direction to go. Like, can never really differentiate. I just became the stereotype, and didn't focus on the root of it at all. I didn't have the I didn't have the skill set in order to do that. I think more of us need counselors, like therapists. That's why I love seeing these girls come to therapy, you know, um, because that they help us put language to how we're feeling. So I think I needed that and didn't necessarily have that. I'm glad that this book exists now. As much as I would have loved to have read it years ago, I, I think right now is the best time to read it for me personally. So. Oh, good. Thank you for writing it. Thank you oh, for wow. finishing it. <laughs> uh, there was a chapter, I think it was in the voiceless chapter, we were, talk- we were talking about, you're talking about attitude. <laughs> and, uh-huh. like, and I thought it was so funny because it was basically saying, every- 
You said I've lost count of how often staff accuse these girls of having an attitude or rolling their eyes. I am. I roll my eyes all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not even, I think it's just a habit at this point. There's one video that I put out when I put up, I have these um, like promo videos for each chapter. And there's one, I think it might've been the angry one where one girl um, interviewed and she's like, they're like, why is your, why are you, why are you look like that or whatever? And she's like, this is just my face. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. If people will tell me they're scared or intimidated by me and I'm like, I didn't smile for 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> so, I'm not scary. Yeah. That is crazy. And then you can, you have every right to look the way you want, you know, <laughs> but they put that on. They just, and they put it on these girls at such a young age, which is also crazy to me. So everyone listening, please read this book. It's a book that I want my grandparents, my grandmas to read. Yeah, it's a book uh-huh. that I want my friends to read. Anyone can read it. Mm-hmm. Any, everyone will learn something. You can buy this book on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Just search Chrissy Lauren Adams or search Parable of the Brown Girl. Can you buy it from Barnes? Yeah, you can you can go to one once everything opens up again. <laughs> All right, buy it on Amazon. Buy it online, right? Actually, it's on BarnesandNoble.com too, so you can, okay. uh, you can look online either way. It's always fun to walk into the bookstore and just see and the just book to book. see it and hold um, it. But yeah, I'm hoping better days are ahead. Where where everything. What was that like? Closer. What was that like? Oh you walked man, into Barnes and saw it. That was like. That was that that was that was probably the highlight because it's like mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> there's my name, you know, there's my book. It's right there on the bookshelf and, um, and still continues. A friend of mine was in New York city before all this and was at the Barnes and Noble in Times Square and was like, your book, your book. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, that, that, that was probably the best part, um, Mm -hmm. for one of the best parts, you know, um, was seeing it. It's, it is kind of like surreal. You don't really have like, you're like, like one, you're excited, but you don't know what you're feeling. And it's just because it's normal. You're just like, oh, there it is. <laughs> but it's not normal. <laughs> but it's not normal, right? And uh-huh. like, but no one else around you knows that you or cares. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're just there by yourself, like. Excelebrating. Hey, yeah. And then life is just normally going on around you. <laughs> yeah. Like, what a weird moment. That, yeah. is, that does sound strange. <laughs> Yeah, this is you're just there. You're you're so low celebrating while things happen normally, and yeah, you just it's weird because there's so many other names in there, right? Like mm-hmm. that we walk past every day, and we don't think twice about it. Uh, but then your name is there, and you're like wanting to put a spotlight on it, and everybody's just like, la la, la. I'm gonna go to Starbucks la, and get la, a cookie, la. you know? <laughs> so yeah, well. I will link all of Christy's website, her social links in the show notes. And I hope that you guys will check it out. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a lovely rest of the day.